As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so Matt, you know about Mount Rushmore, right? Oh, yeah, it's beautiful up there. Yeah, it really is. And, I mean, the thing is, before Mount Rushmore was carved, its beauty was unprecedented. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. I like it. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? I'm doing pretty good, man. Good deal. Uh, you know, I'm in, in enjoying uh, enjoying uh, the the new year, and things are looking good. So, oh yeah, yeah, I'm with you, man. And, and I, I have a feeling this is going to be a good year. Let's just send those vibes out, everybody. And the 2022 right. is going to be a great year. Good year vibe. Hey, I'm noticing that we we caught this. I look like Avatar. You do. <laughs> okay, not not the blue people. The cartoon, the original, right? Because my my green screen, if I get my bald head close enough to it, <laughs> it it tries to bleed through. <laughs> yeah. it, it's either acting like it's cutting a hole in Matt's head, so you see in the background, or it's trying to project on his head. One of the two. So I'm I'm gonna paint the top of my head green. Oh, that'd be fun. <laughs> get some green headphones, and and they'd go away. <laughs> So, yeah, if y'all see that, he hasn't got a face tattoo. That's not a new nope. face edition. Nope. I've got plenty of tattoos. My face is off limit. Same here. So, real quick, we want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find some different shows to listen to that you might not find in any other place. And you can find some different information on about recording your podcast if that is in the you know in your future you can go there podbelly.com and get some resources we also want to thank tonight's sponsors preply and HelloFresh, and we will talk more about them later um while you're sitting around on the interwebs at home www and yourself um go over to patreon.com slash graveyard tales and you can sign up to become a patron of graveyard tales and we do bonus episodes every week and for our ten dollar members 
our $10 patrons get the video version of us recording the episode. And there are some things that we cut out sometimes. We don't cut out much, but if we mess up too poorly and and one of us goes instead of the right words, I'll usually cut that out in the audio, but I leave it in in the video. Um, or if one of us decides to talk trash to the other one in the middle of the episode, I'll leave that in the video version. So if you kind of want to see our dumb looking faces record or hear some of those outtakes in the middle of the episode, then you can become a $10 patron over there and get those plus all the other bonus material that we put out. And also occasionally we will put up surveys on what do people want to hear? What kind of episode do you want? What kind of uh, Patreon episode do you want? Um, so it gives you some more control of the episode. You know, you can voice your opinion and, and we will try to get work those into uh, one of our main episodes. So that's patreon.com slash graveyard tales. Buenas noches. Hablamos de Prepley. Now, some of you might have understood that, um, especially if you use Preply to learn Spanish. Well, I did. And Preply is the best platform to learn a new language. And I'll tell you something, Matt. I I used to know Spanish when I lived in Texas originally. It, it, growing up in Texas, you just kind of absorb it. And, and so I was fairly well bilingual. Well, I lived in Tennessee for 15 years, and I forgot most of it. So mm-hmm. it's really nice being able not only to live in Texas again, where I'm surrounded by it, but to get on Preply and to have a tutor help me relearn Spanish and and feel more like my old self. And the difference a good teacher makes is immeasurable. The attention to detail, instant feedback, passion, nothing beats it. If you're the kind of person who learns best from an, an, another real person and you want to learn a new language, then it's time that you discover Preply. Because that's like me. Just reading it doesn't help me. I need I need to work with somebody to learn. And sure, being self-taught works in some areas. Like when you're learning to you know, make a new recipe or you're learning to restring your guitar or something like that. But... Have you ever tried to learn a new language without talking to an expert tutor? Forget it. You 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 need to get Preply to do that. And how many times have you paid for an app to learn something new that you'll never actually finish? Well, with Preply, you'll learn a new language from real expert tutors based all around the world. Yeah, and Preply helps you learn to confidently speak any language through live one-on-one sessions with real expert tutors. Self-guided learning can be challenging to stick with, and most language learning apps are one-size-fits-all. Plus, in-person, lear- in-person learning can be expensively complicated at best. With Preply, you'll discover a tutor and an interactive learning platform where learning becomes a passion, not homework. Preply's one-on-one approach with 50,000 expert tutors from over 203 countries is your ticket to mastering any language you choose. From immersing yourself in a new culture to succeeding in your career or simply getting unstuck on a word you don't understand, Preply teaches you to speak a new language 
naturally. And that is so important. And with my job, seeing patients that speak a different language and English isn't one of the languages, right? it can become extremely frustrating. Not just for me, but for the patient. Sure. Um, when, when you have that that lack of communication because of a language barrier, it makes things very, very difficult. With Preply, you you can advance yourself in your career by learning to communicate with your customers and clients better. Right, right. Now, some of the customer testimonials for Preply say, this is the best platform I've tried over the years because it's all conversational and practical. My tutor brings in videos and readings that are of enormous help. I've been starting and stopping French for years now, and this is the first time I've really stayed with it. And this other student says, dialects of languages vary from place to place, so it's wonderful to be able to find a tutor who is a native speaker and also lives in the country whose dialect you want to learn. That's that's very true. Yeah, You know, learning a language and being able to speak it conversationally are two different things. And uh-huh. Preply really helps you with this. Yep, that's the truth. You can, like, growing up, you learn Spanish or French or whatever in school, but that's not... I, I know learning Spanish in school, it was not the Spanish spoken around Texas. That's right. And so you have to learn that... Texas Spanish, not the Spain Spanish that they were teaching you because we don't live in Spain. So dialects are majorly important and they're absolutely right. Get it from the person that lives there and speaks that all the time and you'll get the dialect down. Right, because uh, I'm only about as good to be able to order a cerveza and find the baños. <laughs> right. <laughs> But Graveyard Tells listeners can book a private tutor today at preply.com slash grave and get 50% off your first lesson for a limited time. That's right. Learn languages online with the world's best tutors for half off at preply.com slash g-r-a-v-e preply.com slash grave. All right, Matt, I have jabbered on enough, so this may be a long one. Um, So why don't you tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay, so tonight, Adam and I are going to dig into Norse mythology. And I know some of you are like, Norse mythology, that's cool and all, but graveyard tales and Norse, see? Mm-hmm. The, the Norse is probably the easiest word I'm going to have to say tonight, <laughs> and I've already blown it. It's not a good omen for the rest of the no, episode. No, it's not. <laughs> but uh, just trust us, Norse mythology, mythology in general, really plays into our modern beliefs about things that are paranormal. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, most people, when you mention paranormal, they automatically think ghosts and haunted places. And that's true, but there's so much more that falls under that umbrella that, you know, you'd be surprised at how much um, these ancient um, stories from mythology will play into 
current cultural beliefs and and how they shape what uh, what paranormal means in different places. Mm-hmm. So we're we're going to get into that, but you know, in, in truth, this stuff is fun. Oh I yeah, mean, mythology was one of my favorite topics in in school. We in in grade school we we talked about Greek and Roman mythology. And, um, I, I had never, I had never really dug into Norse mythology. The, honestly, the Norse mythology that I knew and knew well came from Marvel. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and it's not a hundred percent accurate either. Um, but that's okay. It gives people a starting point kind of, um, it does. It does. Can, it, it, it puts the characters in there yep. and, it, and it gives you kind of an idea. Um, of what their powers were, what they governed and, and what their duties were. Um, but there's a lot more, uh, to it. So we're going to go into that, uh, tonight. And I think it's going to be a fun one. Like Adam said, it, it, it might be, a it might run a little long, but that's okay. Uh, I think, I think everyone's going to enjoy it. Yep. And you know, I, as all of y'all know, I, I'm a history nerd. I, I love my history and I, I've dug into Norse mythology, Greek mythology for a while now, just because it's fascinating. And there is so much history here that, like you said, has shaped the world that it's it's cool to get into. And I'm sure we will do Greek mythology at some point, too, mm-hmm. because it really has shaped current beliefs. But let's go ahead and get into it. Um, as we always say, check our sources uh, go down to the bottom of the show notes and you can find our sources down there. One of the sources is this book. It's Uncovering Norse Mythology by Lucas Russo. Love this book. It's a quick read. If you're interested, um, I put the title down in the sources so you can go check that out. But a lot of my information is going to come from here. Um, so, I mean, it, it's good. It's in a digestible format. and. Yeah. And that's why I went with that instead of trying to find it in other, you know, epic dictionaries about Norse mythology and stuff. But let's go ahead and get into it. Um, this first part comes from worldhistory.org, and it says North Norse mythology. I just did a mat there, North mythology. Um, Norse mythology refers to the Scandinavian mythological framework that was upheld during and around the time of the Viking Age. 790 CE to 1100 CE. Um, it complete with a creation myth that has the first God slaying a giant, turning his body parts into the world, which we'll talk about various realms spread out beneath the world tree Yggdrasil, which we'll, we'll talk about too. And eventually the destruction of the known world in the Ragnarok. Um, the Nordic, mythological world is both complex and comprehensive. It's a polytheistic pantheon headed by Odin um, and contains a great number of different gods and goddesses who Matt will talk about coming up, uh, who are venerated in customs, integrated into the ancient Scandinavians' daily lives. So first, we need to look at who were the Vikings. Now, this is from history.com, and it says, from around AD 800 to the 11th century, a vast number of Scandinavians left their homelands to seek their fortunes elsewhere. These seafaring warriors, known collectively as Vikings or Norsemen, otherwise Northmen, um, yeah. 
began by raiding coastal sites, especially undefended monasteries in the British Isles. Over the next three centuries, they would leave their mark as pirates, raiders, traders, and settlers on much of Britain and the European continent, as well as parts of modern-day Russia, Iceland, Greenland, and Newfoundland. And the U.S. as well. North Mm. America. Um, We're just learning that in the past few decades that um, the, the Vikings actually discovered North America prior to any other race of people. Besides, well, you mean they weren't that far. I mean, they made it to Greenland. Once yeah. you get to Greenland, you know, getting to North America doesn't seem all that, no, you know, out of the question. It's just a hop, skip, and a jump over to uh, Canada. So, yeah. and it was, it, it was, it's harder to see how they made it from, you know, the Northern Europe all the way across, you know, to Iceland and Greenland. Right. With, well, you know, and when I say that, I'm talking about we're talking about 800 to 1100 CE. Right. I mean, you know, the they they weren't they didn't fly there. No. You know, they they had to make ships that were not only very seaworthy, but that they could stay on for long periods of time in extraordinarily cold temperatures. Yeah. The Vikings were amazing shipbuilders. Yeah. I mean, we're not talking about taking a, a day cruise from, you know, one Caribbean island to another. Right. You know, we're, we're talking about, you know, de- deadliest catch was deadliest <laughs> catch because it was so dead gum cold. Right. Right. You know? <laughs> now this goes on to say that contrary to some popular, uh, Conceptions of the Vikings, they were not a race, quote unquote, linked by ties of common ancestry or patriotism and could not be defined by any particular sense of Vikingness. Uh, most of the Vikings whose activities are best known come from the areas now known as Denmark, Norway and Sweden, though there are mentions in historical records of Finnish, Estonian and uh, Sami Vikings as well. Their common ground and what made them different from the European peoples they confronted was that they came from a foreign land and they were not, quote unquote, civilized in the local understanding of the word. And most importantly, they were not Christians like most of Europe at the time. Now, this this part comes from the uncovering Norse mythology by Lucas Russo, and I'm going to try to paraphrase a lot of this. So I'm not reading directly from the text, but um, we got to look at the Norse creation myth. This is how how the world started, how the gods started, all that. Now, according to Norse mythology, in the beginning, there was a great void, much like the Christian Genesis story. Uh, Norsemen believed there was nothing except the void that existed between the elemental fires of Muspelheim and the elemental frost of Niflheim. Now, think of these as the first two worlds of the world tree, Yggdrasil. Um, You've got Muspelheim and Niflheim. Now, in the vast emptiness of the Gununga Gap, which is the great emptiness, the fires of Muspelheim and the frost of Niflheim met. Fire melted ice, and from these drops of the first waters, Emir, or the first of the frost giants, was formed. 
these giants made up a godlike race known as Jotnar. Now, Emir slept um, like most gods, uh, giants do in these creation stories. The giants are always sleepy. And yeah. uh, Emir was no different. He was sleepy. He was um, lazy. Yep. Yeah, he, he slept most of the time. But while he slept, more giants were actually made out of his legs and the sweat from his left armpit. So the sweat that came out of his armpit made more giants and his legs were turned in um, to other giants as well. Now, the fires and frost continued this exchange and eventually a cow known as Odhumla came to nourish Emir with her milk. Now, in turn, she fed from the salty ice crystals from his sweat and all that. So he's suckling at her teats. She's licking the salty ice. This is how they both stayed alive. Now, as she licked, she uncovered Buri, which was the first of the Acer gods that was created. Now, Buri had a son named Bor, who got married to the giant Bolthorn's daughter, Bestla. They, in turn, had three half-god, half-giant sons. The sons were Odin, who we'll talk more about, and his brothers Vili and Vey. So, if you didn't know, Odin wasn't an only child. Right. Odin had two brothers, Vili and Vey, and they were the the first like true god giant um yeah. mingles. They, they are thing. in a lot of ways considered the original three gods. Yes. Yep. Um e- even though even though uh Burry um is often referred to as a god. He yeah, was the first Acer. He was more he was more giant than God. Um but there wasn't anybody else around. So if if you're alone, guess what? You're God. Yep. Yep. You're you know, that's it. Yep, By you're the only one, so <laughs> now Odin and his brothers, as they grew up, they noticed that Emir and the other frost giants were evil. Like evil, just nasty race of beings. And so they planned on killing Emir. Now, when they did, they killed him and they dragged his body to the center of the great void and created the world, which is another one of the nine realms. So we've mentioned three and I'll, I'll talk about all the nine realms here in a minute. Um, but they created the world from his corpse. Now, his blood became the sea and lakes, his flesh, the earth. His hair became trees, and his bones made the mountains, and his brains made the clouds. So in that myth, Odin and his brothers take his brains and throw them into the sky to Mm -hmm. create the clouds. Now, the sky was actually made from his giant skull. So what we see is the sky is his skull, but it was held up by four dwarves, and we'll talk about the dwarves, but they represented the cardinal directions, north, south, east, and west. Now, as Emir's flesh rotted, the natural progression of things is that it filled with maggots. Now, the gods gifted these maggots with human intelligence and the appearance of men, but they weren't human. They became the dwarves. Now, like I said, the first four dwarves were the ones who held up the sky and represented north, south, east, and west. So there's a little how did this happen 
how did the sky get created before the dwarves? But it's mythology, so we're not going to get into that. Now, the dwarves also were great blacksmiths and, and creators of whatever you wanted. And so the dwarves made magical weapons for the Acer, including Thor's hammer, Mjolnir, which we'll, we'll get into. But when Emir first died, when they first killed him, a deluge of his blood washed away most of the other frost giants. So there was only a few of them that actually remained. So that was how most of the frost giants were destroyed is in like a great flood of his blood. Now, yep. one the thing, blood, th- the blood flood, the blood flood. I love it. That's, that's my new metal band. Um, nobody take that. <laughs> uh, we are the blood flood. I'm going to say we're from Sweden since it, yeah. you know, came from Vikings. Um, what, what I'm going to mention here that I don't have in my notes, Matt, is what I was thinking about is, we see in many, many culture stories about the past, we see a great flood. Mm-hmm. Not just Christianity, but you look at Native American and the First Peoples stories, they have a great flood where people hid in a, a, a basically a hollowed out tree with resin and rode it out. Um, you've got India, they have a a creation myth that has the same type of flood. We actually have evidence that we found on Earth that shows that there was a worldwide flood at some point. Mm -hmm. So, to me, this ties into that as here is the flood that most other religions and peoples have a tale about and i mean even in in christianity and all these other ones there were giants before the flood right so there is so much tie-in between all these uh religious creation tales that it's just it's fascinating to me so it i mean you have that much that many people's talking about a flood. There had to have been a flood. It's not just something that all of them came up with independently. Right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you understand that, you know, these <laughs> these accounts, these myths, um, regardless of the the religion that that they that they go with, they weren't written firsthand or in first person. So they're they're these stories are put down, you know, many, many, many centuries after these things already occurred. So men on earth would have already been aware of such a flood. And in a lot of ways, this was their understanding, how they explained it. Right. You know, right. how they how they taught this was this was what happened um because you're right the, every religion or not every but the majority have have some type of story that associates with a great flood on the earth mhm and exactly like you said what 
creation myths are, no matter what group of people you're talking about, is stories that they used to explain natural events and natural occurrences and just how they got here. Yeah. And so we all, we see it in all religions and in all groups of peoples. And they're all a little different, but they all have so many similarities that some of the similarities you have to say, okay, that probably legitimately happened. If every one of them talks about a great flood in one way or another, and I'd, I'd say, I don't know all of them, obviously, but most of the ones that I have read or heard of, there were stories of giants prior to the flood. So makes me wonder, were there giants prior to a worldwide flood? Maybe, maybe. Uh, that's an episode for another time. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, this goes on to say that Odin and his brother sensed that the last Jotnar would always threaten the new world that they created. So they made a wall with Emir's eyebrows to protect the new world. They called the new world Midgard, loosely translated to Middle Yard or Middle Earth because it's halfway down the world tree. So. The term Midgard, Middle Earth, is used a lot in folklore. And it's one of those things, like Matt was saying, that has influenced modern stories because we see Middle Earth even in Lord of the Rings. Right. So centuries after these tales were written, you've got Tolkien using Middle Earth and dwarves and everything else so it does color our world even today these um, creation myths now odin and his brothers then created the first man and woman ask and embla now ask was made from an ash tree and embla was made from an elm trunk now his Odin and his three brothers all carved these humans out of the trunks, right? Mm -hmm. So one gave them shape, one gave them intelligence, and one gave them sight and hearing and their senses. Right. So yeah. together, those three created uh, man. But because Odin was the, the life giver, mm -hmm. that's how he is widely regarded as the, the, the ruler of the gods. The all-father. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Now, let's look real quick at the nine different realms that I mentioned. Um, now, what think of Yggdrasil as a tree with different branches and, and roots and all that. And throughout this tree are the realms. And I'll, I'll post a picture of an artistic drawing of Yggdrasil on Patreon mm -hmm. so you can see it. Um, you can go there and see it or, or look it up yourself. Um, but the nine realms, um, one is Niflheim. Niflheim is the world of fog, and it contains a fountain in which all the 11 rivers that feed energy to the rest of the universe flow. 
So all waters and all energy and everything, it flows out of Niflheim into the rest of the tree. Now, the next one is Muspelheim, and it, it translates to the world of Muspel. Um, but it's a place of fire, sparks, ash, lava, and soot. Now, the sparks from here are said to have formed the stars. So what we see as stars at night are actually the sparks and embers coming up off of Muspelheim. This is the home of fire giants and demons. And its landscape is very similar to the Christian vision of hell. So if you if you picture what Christianity describes hell as, that's what Muspelheim looks like. Now, Asgard, um, this is the enclosure of the Acer, is what it stands for. And Asgard, as you know from Marvel and all the rest, this is the home of the gods and the goddesses. Now, it's located at the top of the world tree. So at the very top of this tree sits Asgard. And Valhalla is actually located in Asgard. So it's to tie it into Christianity, it's like the Christian version of heaven. Mm -hmm. And I think. Now, everybody knows. Yeah, kind of. Um, Everybody now knows uh, Valhalla because it's it's a a widely used reference. And that's where the glorious dead go. If you died in battle, um, even if you weren't victorious, you would go there. You know, as long as you weren't an evil person, then you would go to Valhalla. Now, Midgard, Middle Enclosure or Middle Earth, um, like I said, this is made from Ymir's body and it's home to the humans. So it's Earth. And if you looking at the world tree, you've got Asgard at the top. Now go halfway down the trunk. Boop. There's Midgard. That's where we live. Now, a next one is Jotunheim. This is the world of giants. Um, this is home of the frost giants, which is enemies of gods and humans, and that's where they live. It's a rough, barren, icy land. And they said in in the book, it says um, they described it basically the way they described like Greenland, where um, you know Greenland is covered in ice and it's just kind of barren and all that. That's... Um, when they first discovered Greenland, apparently they thought it was Jotunheim because of the stories that they had, and then they saw it and whatever. Um, Vanaheim is the next one, and this is homeland of the Veneer. Um, uh, it was home to the Veneer gods who are more like nature spirits or, mm-hmm. or the Greek muses. Um, Nord, Freya, and Freyr live there and they can see and mold the future, but they can never change it. So it, it's like the Greek muses or, or like the nature spirits, the, the, um, uh, you would talk to them and they would help you see the future. They could give you, information that you might need to know you know they 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 were the muses yeah so love fertility those type things you know Mm -hmm. they uh they were all governed 
by the gods of the veneer. Right. So more more of the things that we typically uh, associate, like Adam said, with nature, with Earth. Um, whereas you know the, the you know the Assyr gods were were more um, they had more to do with the heavens, mm-hmm. with you know the sky, you know whether it's storms, thunder, lightning, um, those kind of things. But then you had Odin, who is more associated with with wisdom and all all governing. So there was a definite delineation between the two types of gods, even though they weren't necessarily at odds. They just they had it. They 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 lived in a different apartment complex. It was yeah. down the tree a little way. Yep, exactly. <laughs> they still talked on the phone, but they were a ways away. <laughs> Um, the next one is Alfheim, and it's the homeland of the elves. Um, it's situated next to Asgard in Yggdrasil, and it's the world of light bringers and angels. Um, it says not much is known about Elfheim due to oral traditions being lost. So uh, you got to remember a lot of, I mean, all of this was passed down orally right. from one generation to the next. And if a certain generation didn't talk about Affelheim as much as the one before, then that just didn't get passed down. Right. And we know due to reading some of the ancient texts that it was there and what it was, but we don't have as much information on it as we do Asgard and, and Jotunheim and stuff because it didn't get talked about as much. Um, the next one is Svartalheim. This is Dark Fields or Home of the Black Elves. Now, uh, like I said, when the maggots that were on Emir's body were turned into elves, this is where they were sent. They were sent to Svartalheim. Um, They lived amongst the rocks and caves, and they turned the caves into workshops to make their magical creations that they were known for. So Svartalheim is where all the elves would live. And it smelled really bad there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It smelled like a spartal. (laughs) um it was cheap joke but it was talk about low-hanging fruit man (laughs) it's on the ground it's (laughs) rot. uh the last one we got is hellheim and this is hell's home now hell h-e-l only one l um but this is loosely hell um it's where the dishonorable dead are sent and the army of dishonorable dead will become hell's weapon against the gods during Ragnarok, which we'll talk about here shortly. Um, but those are the nine realms. And we'll, like I said, I'll, I'll post a picture of them on Patreon so you can go kind of check them out, maybe follow along as we're talking. Okay, so um, so you, you've learned about the realms. Now, let's talk about the gods themselves. And as we were saying, the Norse gods belong to two major clans. The Aesir and the Vanir. So Odin, Frigg, his wife, Thor, Loki, Baldur, uh, Hode, uh, Himadol, Tyre. Uh, they're, the, they're the highest ranking gods that belong to the Aesir. Um, and they're also known as the main gods. Now, the second clan, the Vanir, it, as we said, has the fertility gods, um, you know, Freya, Freyr, Njord, 
um, those were their most notable members. So different things, different gods governed different aspects of life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and actually were and were separated. You know, they were in different realms. Right. Now let's talk about Odin because he's he's probably the most famous next to Thor. Um, I mean, Odin is referred to as the king of the gods, and he was the ruler of Asgard, um, which was the home of the Asir gods. Now, he also ruled over the Hall of the Slain, which was Valhalla. Now, Odin, uh, as Adam mentioned, he only had one eye. He had one eye because he gave one of his eyes in exchange for wisdom. And that's why, according to most sources, he is considered the, quote, all-father. Right. Now, he's kind of like a shaman. Um, I know a lot of people have the the art the artistic representation of Odin is usually this he he resembles Zeus. Um, he's a big, muscular, almost like a warrior. Um, and and that may or may not be completely accurate. Um, this this describes him more as like an elder figure, you know, very well revered um very wise uh but very powerful as well um he was the he was the emblem of war and battle and death but also poetry music prophecy and magic so there were really two aspects to odin now he would ride across the battlefield on sleipnir which was an eight-legged steed with uh, with ravens. Now, the ravens, uh, Hugin and Munin, uh, represented thought and memory, and they were positioned on his shoulders. I love now, the, the raven. The raven is my favorite, probably one of my favorite animals, and I love the legends of these ravens in Norse mythology. It's just, yeah. It's so cool. But just in Norse mythology, everything represents something. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that's just there. It, it it has a purpose. It has a reason, and it represents something. Now, Odin's thirst for wisdom would have him hang from the world tree, uh, Yggdrasil, for, for nine days and nine nights until he was blessed with the knowledge of the runic alphabet. So it was this unyielding nature granted him the opportunity to unlock all these mysteries of the universe by learning the runic alphabet. Now, Odin's wife, Frigg, she was extremely beautiful, um, and, and she represented beauty, love, fertility, and fate. She was the queen of Asgard and a Norse goddess who was given the power of divination, but uh, was always surrounded by an air of secrecy. She's the only goddess allowed to sit next to Odin. Uh, Frigg was a very protective mother. So in order to protect her uh, favorite son, her most beloved son, Baldur, she went to all the creatures 
in in the the universe and made them swear that they would not ever harm him. But she she made a mistake. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So um so Odin and Frigg had sons. We've mentioned Balder. We're going to go into more detail about him. But Thor is probably the most famous. Now, as well as thunderstorms, Thor, Thor is associated with oak trees and is said to be the protector of mankind. Um, it's less well known. He's also the representative of healing and hallowing or sanctification. So Thor is a, is a goody-goody, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, he's always, he's always looking to do the right thing. Um, and he would be who you would pray to for, you know, an ethical dilemma, something like that. So Thor was who you would ask for guidance from. Now, as well as his famous hammer, he possessed a magical belt and iron gloves. And they all had names because again, everything represents something. Um, and naming weapons was typical, uh, for the Norsemen. And, uh, that's, you also see that in Tolkien, um, in, in Lord of the Rings, you know, these, right. You know, the, all of the, all of the magical weapons, you know, they, they all have names. They're all, you know, they all have specific traits. They all have individual names. Now let's talk about Baldur. Now, Balder, as I mentioned, was Frigg's favorite son, um, and he was very, very beautiful. He was the god of the summer sun and of radiance. In fact, it was said that he was so bright that light just emitted from him. Hmm. Sounds like me. Now, Balder had a dream that foretold his death. Or, or Frigg had the dream that foretold of Baldur's death. And so that's when she made all the creatures of the earth, all the things of the earth, vow to never harm him. And they all agreed that they would never harm Baldur. But, and this is, this is really interesting to me. She neglected to consult mistletoe because she felt that it was too small and too harmless to threaten anyone. Uh-huh. But the spear that killed Baldor was made of mistletoe. Thanks uh-huh. to Loki. Yep. Of course. old Loki. Oh, Loki. Yeah. But I mean, that, that just, I think that that's so cool. Uh, using mistletoe, uh, something that we, we all know of today and associate it with Christmas and kissing and all that mm-hmm. other stuff, you know, in Norse mythology, you know, mistletoe was so insignificant. It was ignored and it wound up causing the death of Frigg's beloved son, which kind of is a, 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 a cautionary tale, right? Don't ignore something just because you think it's so small. That's right. That's right. Something small can definitely hurt you, so don't ignore mm-hmm. it. Now, let's get into probably one of my favorites is is Loki. Now, Loki was a trickster god. He was an immoral figure who managed to worm his way into becoming Odin's blood brother. 
So a lot of, especially Marvel, they associate uh, Loki and Thor as being brothers. The truth is, is that Loki wasn't related at all and was actually Odin's blood brother, not Thor. Now, his crimes against the gods were so many, uh, with the the worst being Baldur's death, um, that the the other gods were just constantly, you know, talking. We got to get we got to get rid of Loki. We right. got to do something right. about this Loki character. He's he's up to no good. He was a shapeshifter, and he could transform into various animals. Um, and he was uh. He was in the shape of a horse, and he actually sired uh, Slefanir, uh, which was Odin's eight-legged horse. Huh. Yeah. See? I mean, you know, they all tie in. Yep. Everything's tied together. But Loki also had other divine children, namely Hel, who was the queen of the underworld. So let's, let's talk about the underworld. Adam touched on it, um, comparing it to... Uh, modern representations of hell, and it it is similar, uh, but not exactly the same. Um, so hell was the ruler of Helheim, uh, which was the Norse underworld, and like gods of the dead in other cultures, is described as having skin that resembled death itself. In her case, her skin had a bluish bluish hue. Yeah. Now. Half of Hell's body was flesh and blood. The other half was just bones and decay. Now, her decaying features were perfect for a goddess who ruled over the realm of the dead. And she would judge and decide the fate of the souls who entered her realm. Not necessarily for punishment. Because as it went, when you died, you just kind of went somewhere. Mm-hmm. You, you didn't necessarily go to Valhalla. You didn't necessarily go to Helheim. There were multiple places that you could go. But if you showed up in Helheim, then you would be subject to hell's judgment. And she would decide what, you know, what was going to happen to you. You know, hey, is this going to suck? Is it not going to be so bad? Are you going to be stuck <laughs> watching uh, Mary Tyler Moore reruns? Or are you going to be busting <laughs> rocks for the next, right. you know, century? But it was said that within the underworld, she was more powerful than Odin himself, which was a belief that was reinforced when she had the final say on what happened to Baldur's soul after he was slain. Now, she she was sovereign of a realm of vast mansions, and it was Hell's duty to provide food and lodging to everyone that was dispatched to her. So like I said, it, it wasn't all bad. Um, you know, you might wind up with a big, nice palace and, you know, you might yep. have a shack, but Got it was, it was her something. decision. Yeah. You know, it was her decision. Now, uh, let's move over to, um, the gods we discussed earlier with love, fertility. Um, and that, uh, that would be Freya. Now, Freya was multifaceted. You know, she had many, many aspects. Um, and as with Thor and Odin, she had a lot of contradictions. Not only was she beautiful, being the goddess of love and fertility, she was also associated with war, battle, wealth, death, and a particular form of Norse magic known as 
Seor. And it was, in fact, Freya who taught the magic arts to Odin himself. And she is probably one of the most complex and intriguing uh, of all the Norse gods. And you hear things about Freya throughout um, mythological history. Um, she shows up in a lot of fantasy writings in many, many aspects. You know, I've even I've even read vampire novels that mm-hmm. include Freya in them. Um, so, yeah, she was she was quite interesting. Now, Asgard had the the Bifrost, which we all know is the Rainbow Bridge, you know, right. Cross the Rainbow Bridge of Asgard. <laughs> if you remember that, Adam don't remember that. He's not nope. old enough. But when I was a kid, when you came home from school on one of the UHF channels would be a 30-minute cartoon that was all Marvel. Okay? So you they they were all individuals. So you either you either came in and and you you sat down and you got to see Thor or Iron Man, Captain America, Spider-Man, Hulk or you know the the times where where Matt would find something else to do, Submariner, which <laughs> yeah. you know, oh man. It's Marvel's version of Aquaman. This sucks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but that was the theme song for the Thor cartoon, you know, mm, yep. <laughs> that led off like that. And I could just, I could rattle it off even to this day. Yeah. You know? I've heard of the Thor cartoon, but I, like you said, I've never seen it. And yeah. it was before my time. They were strangely animated. There was a lot of stuff where it was like a still figure was just like moving across it, oh, it, yeah. it had a very comic book appeal mm-hmm. um which was which was interesting for that time I mean, we're talking about you know the late 70s early 80s uh but the the bifrost the rainbow bridge had a guardian and heimdall himdall heimdall 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 okay if you say so um <laughs> he was the guardian of the rainbow bridge. And he was also the shiniest of the gods. Mm, shiny. He had white skin. Okay. Um, but he would sit atop the rainbow bridge and would look and would look across the Asir, uh, and, and Midgard, uh, and all of the gods and all of humanity and he was always on alert and he was guarding Asgard against any attack. So there's your, he had the, uh, the great hearing and sight that he could see anything coming from anywhere. Right. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yep. He, he had, he had incredible vision and he could see, like Adam said, he could see anything from anywhere. So he always knew if there was a threat coming. He, and, he was like my grandma. You couldn't get away with anything. She'd see it all, <laughs> see it all, hear it all. And so some some of these gods we all know, we've all heard. Like I said, Thor with Marvel, um, not just recently, but you know, throughout 
the last 30, 40 years, you know, Thor was a Marvel character. Um, mm-hmm. And he carried many of the aspects of, of you know, the, the mythological god Thor. Um, and Loki as well. And, and, you know, both of these characters are much more popular today because of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, uh, you know, if, if, if you haven't watched the Loki series on Disney Plus, you should. It's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's really good. I I didn't I didn't care as much for the Thor movies, but I do dig Loki. He's <laughs> he's probably my favorite. Yeah, I've always kind of liked Loki. All right, so this of course is not an exhaustive list of all the Norse gods. These are just the majority of the major players. Um, they're the ones that most of the stories involve. Of course, just like with any other mythology, there's tons of other minor characters here um that come into play um because they had some kind of beef with one of the major gods um they were involved in something that the gods didn't like and that's how their characters play in but for the most part odin loki thor frigg um you know, Baldur, these are the ones that you hear the majority of stories from. So at least knowing those, you can pretty much weed your way through most of Norse mythology and do pretty well. Um, but you know, when you, when you look at these, you look at these characters and you look at what they represented, they, they almost, match up to Greek and Roman gods. You yeah. know, as far as yep. we had a we had a god of war, we had a god of love, we had a god of the sea, we had a, you know, a ruler god and we had a wife. Um and they they kind of they kind of match up mm-hmm. as far as having these multifaceted personalities. I mean, if you're just the goddess of love and you just hang around and, you know, like Cupid and, you know, everybody's all, oh, you know, and just, you know, little heart springing up in their eyes and stuff like that. That gets boring after a while. Yeah. Yep. So when you like with Freya, when you when you take a goddess and you say, OK, she's going to be the goddess of love and fertility. But not only that, you know, we're we're going to we're going to give her um some other aspects like war and death things that you don't associate with love and fertility. So a lot of these, um, these Norse gods were, were conflicted in their own personality, which matches humans. I was going to say that's, that's just like us. Yeah. They, They were more human in traits. So when when you're passing down these stories, by making these gods conflicted like human beings were, it allows you to relate to them and understand, oh, well, if I'm having problems with this situation, Uh then praying to one or multiple of these gods may help me receive guidance on how to deal with this problem because 
they might have the same problem or have dealt with something similar. That was kind of the idea here is, um, you know, making these gods so complex. And I know I, I sound like I'm saying somebody just sat down and made all these characters up. That's not, that's not how it happened. But as the myths grow, the, the depth and complexity of the story and the reason behind one God or goddess's decision in a situation, um, is explained because you can, you can tell they, they wanted to do this. They felt like they had to do that. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, punishing someone for an, an evil deed, but that person is your brother. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to harm your brother, but this was an awful thing. So it it really gave humans something to hang on to and reflect into their own lives. So you can see how these myths really gave the Norsemen a purpose. Yeah. You know, it said, you know, look, you know, we're 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 doing this, you know, we're we're going to we're going to venture out and find these new lands and we're going to, we're going to grow and we're going to create this, our own culture because that's what these gods did that they gave us this land, this Midgard, you know, for, for us to conquer and, and cultivate and thrive. So that's what we're going to do without those myths. They might not have ever left. Well, yeah. and and you you said a, a key word there, thrive. Um, there's a lot of tales of you know Vikings coming in and plundering and leaving ruin, and that's not really the case. If you look at a lot of the places that they came into and and overthrew, whatever, they actually created civilizations in some of these places. So it wasn't just a come in and plunder mm-hmm. and pillage and leave you broken. Right. Yeah. They, they came in and took over, but you know, they left a, a civilization there. They, they restarted a civilization where they plundered. Yeah. So it, it's just, it is, it, it's the duality of not only the gods, but the duality of, of the Vikings themselves was, I mean, they were human. They, you know, yeah, they, they did some, pillaging and plundering but they also did a lot of setting up of societies and stuff around that area mm-hmm. in greenland and iceland and all that right and so since life wasn't perfect for the vikings life couldn't be perfect for the norse gods either and it would it, you know conflict would prevail and would would ultimately lead to uh, a a great final destruction, right? Which it, it it's like mentioned in the top of the episode Ragnarok, mm-hmm. um, and and Ragnarok is the the destruction, like Matt said. Ar- Arma, um, it's it's an Armageddon in Norse yep. mythology. Yep. Um, and there there's a poem about it. Um, and I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce this, but it's the vulva or something like that. It sounds like a body part, but um, 
it's uh, by uh, the this translation is by Ursula Dronke, and it says brothers will fight and kill each other. Sisters, children's will defile kinship. It is harsh in the world. Hordum rife, an axe age, a sword age. Shields are riven, a wind age, a wolf age. Before the world goes headlong, no man will have mercy on another. Now, Ragnarok, like we said, is the North version of the Christian apocalypse, basically. Um, Ragnarok is translated as fate of the gods and also reads as twilight of the gods. And, you know, twilight, you say someone's in their twilight years or what it's basically toward the end is what they're saying. Um, and as the sun goes down, it's twilight, you know, um, so twilight of the gods. Now, I'm going to give a brief sequence of the events here that are going to happen, have happened or will happen, um, whatever your belief is during Ragnarok. Now, first is the Great Winter or uh, Fimbulvetter. Um, There will come a great winter unlike any other winter. It will last three times as long and seasons would stop changing. So all the realms on Yggdrasil would freeze over. Now, life-saving resources will be scarce, so brother will turn against brother um, in fights for food, water, and warmth, and moral codes will perish before the bodies do. So, it, it's just going to be chaos. all hell will break loose. Yeah, yeah, chaos. Now, the red rooster will crow in the forest to tell the giants that the end has come. The golden rooster will crow in Valhalla warning the gods that Ragnarok has arrived, and a soot-red rooster will crow in Hell's halls, waking the dead to go to war. Now in Helheim, the great hellhound will begin to growl without end. Now it's unclear whether this hellhound is Fenrir or Garmer. And Fenrir, as we uh, we didn't talk about, but as you may know, is Loki's son, Mm -hmm. um, who was turned into... A giant wolf, and due to his atrocities, was um, chained up with unbreakable chains in a cave. And I have to say, I, I've always found Fenrir fascinating. One of my favorite things about uh, Norse mythology is Fenrir. Don't know why. Yeah, but it's just a cool I, story. I, I just like it. Um, so go check it out if you haven't uh, heard about it. Now, the sun, moon, and stars will all quit shining. Yggdrasil, or the Tree of the Realms, will shudder in terror. Thus, all mountains will crumble and all forests will be uprooted. Now, the earthquakes that result from Yggdrasil shaking would break the chains that imprison Fenrir in his cave, and he would break out across the land. With his top jaw scraping the sky and his lower jaw scraping the land, thus swallowing everything in his path. The sea serpent, Jormungand, which lives around the roots of the tree of Yggdrasil that we didn't talk about, um, but he will spew forth poison, polluting the sky, seas, and land. Now, Jormungand would writhe and cause waves to break loose the great ship. Nagalfar. Now, Nagalfar is made of the toenails and fingernails of the dead. Yeah. 
I want to. I want to get on that. that boat. Right? Can you imagine the smell of the dead toenails? Uh, I don't like the smell of living toenails. I mean, that's yeah. gross. And it was defeated now, by a giant nail clipper. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Thor comes in. Clip, 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 clip. With a, I, I with a see dribble those. and an emery board. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All father, bring me my emery board. Now, the ship uh, is crewed by giants and monsters, and it's actually captained by Loki. So Loki is the captain of Nagalfar, the nail ship. Um, now, chaos and destruction would follow this ship wherever it goes. Now, the skies would be torn open and the fire giants would emerge from Muspelheim. The gods will meet their enemies on a plane called Vigrid. And on this plane, no mercy will be shown between any of the gods, the giants, whoever is fighting. No mercy will be shown. Now, though Odin and the gods will fight ferociously, Fenrir will swallow them whole. He ends up swallowing Odin whole. Now, Odin has a son named Vidar. Vidar, to avenge his father, will kill Fenrir. He's apparently got shoes that are made from the scraps of all leather discarded by all shoemakers in all of Midgard. So it's tough enough and thick enough that he can put his foot on Fenrir's jaw open his jaw and he basically rips Fenrir's head in half just rips him in half and then shoves his sword down Fenrir's throat now when the dust settles from all this battle and death and carnage the gods and humans with very few exceptions will all be gone the tree Yggdrasil will sink back into the great seas leaving only a void like it was in the beginning now, some say, okay, that's the end of Midgard and, and Yggdrasil and all the nine realms. But others actually said that a few gods, some of Odin's kids will remain, and two humans, a man and a woman, will remain, and they will restart the world, Midgard, and it will all go again. So, like in a lot of um, creation myths and apocalypse myths, you have an end, but from that end, it will restart. And there's always, even in this one, it will restart and, and they live in peace for a while and all that. And it's just like other um, end of the world myths where it ends, but it's restarted and the next race of peoples will be nicer and kinder and it'll be a better mm -hmm. age mm -hmm. but that, that's basically ragnarok yeah so we're at the point now where you're saying all right this has been very interesting what on earth would uh why would this be important why would adam and i want to discuss it well it's history for one and and it's important history at that because it gives us insight into Scandinavian culture, the Scandi the Viking culture. Um, so that's that's crucial. It's just fascinating. Yeah, because so much of mythology is no longer available to us. I mean, Celtic mythology was essentially wiped out by the Romans. 
Um, you know, Beowulf is written in Saxon, but that's about all we have. Mm-hmm. Um, Greek and Roman mythology dominate most study into mythology because it was preserved. So the Norse myth survived really by accident. Norse culture was so far from the center that they didn't get the the Charlemagne or the Teutonic Knights treatment. Okay, where we're gonna we're gonna force you into Christianity. Um, you know, you can either accept it or we'll kill you and burn all your history and your books. <laughs> right. And- right. So it didn't, it didn't go through all of that. They got converted by sending missionaries to convert the Kings who then pushed Christianity on the rest of the population. Iceland was such a distant colony of this outer culture. So Iceland was converted peacefully and much later, which allowed its books to survive. Mm-hmm. So that's where the majority of Norse mythology comes from, was the fact that it wasn't destroyed through the uh, the push of Christianity. Right, right. Now, which, like we said in other episodes, it, that drives me nuts because it. Right. We lost so much history in in those raids and pushes by, you know, the Spanish Inquisition and all this other stuff burning like the the Aztec uh, scrolls and everything. We lost all this history and, and religion from other cultures. And it's just like you said, an accident yeah. that they didn't get around to the Norse mythologies. Yeah. And you know the old saying, you know, those who don't follow history are destined to repeat it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is a good example because we have so little of some of this history that it's really difficult to understand the motivation of why certain cultures did things or why they were wiped out. Why they changed, right. you know, where they went. Um, we we ha- we find huge gaps that are, are just mysteries. And, you know, historians have tried to use other texts from uh, other parts of the world that reference different cultures to fill in those gaps. But it's still very difficult. And it's still, mm-hmm. it still, it, it still doesn't give you a 100% clear picture. I mean, you know, imagine if in modern history, you know, just within the last hundred years, if we didn't have all of that record, we wouldn't understand, you know, why world war one happened, why world war two happened, you know, why these huge events in history occurred and what they led to. If that history was lost, it's important for us to know, how this came about and you know we're missing some of that in norse uh in norse history in viking history um and the mythology helps us to understand why they believed certain things and did certain things but when adam and i go diving into the paranormal we often refer to cultural folklore or mythology to explain the beliefs in things like vengeful spirits or benevolent creatures or even horrifying monsters. 
which Norse mythology has all of that. Yep. Take the Wendigo, for example. Native American culture fears the Wendigo because of the myth and myths and legends passed down from generation to generation. And you know, we don't know. We don't know if a, if the Wendigo is a real creature. We have a lot of stories about it. Um uh-huh. But the history we know, you know, is from Native American folklore. And and if we didn't have that, then we wouldn't understand why in Native American culture, the Wendigo is feared. So that's why it's so important. And that's why mythology is so interesting, because nobody would say, well, you know, why are Matt and Adam talking about the Wendigo? Well, because it's scary as hell. That's why. Um, (laughs) Right. But but the history behind it you know, goes all the way back to, you know, legends and folklore. Now, when we talk about ghosts and hauntings, the Norse concept of the soul was quite different from how it's understood in the modern day or how it was even perceived by the Christians in the 8th to 12th centuries. The soul in Norse uh, culture had four components. And one's destination in the afterlife could range between continued existence in your own grave, which would suck, um, yep. haunting your, your former home, or in one of the realms of the gods, or somewhere else. Now, the Norse uh, conception of the soul included four aspects which made up a whole person. The hammer, which was one's physical appearance. Um, which could and would change. The hammer could be manipulated for shape-shifting uh, or could change color even after death. Now, the huger was one's personality or character which carried on after death. The, and I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this, the, the filgia, 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 filgia is... Uh, is, is your own personal totem or familiar spirit, uh, which was unique to an individual, and it mirrored their huger, their personality. So, so that could be like a doppelganger. Kind of. That could be the Norse doppelganger. Kind of. So here's, here's an example. A shy person might have a deer as their fil- filgia. Um, but like a warrior would probably have a wolf, something like yeah. that. Okay. So it, it's, it's essentially a, um, an embodiment of nature that was attached to your personality. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I, okay. I would always think that because of, because of my personality, my size and everything else that mine would be a bear. Okay. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big guy, you know, but you know, just, I'm not super aggressive. Just don't, don't F with me. You know? yeah, well, you would be, you would be a bear, but you would have a collar and a, a tie on and a hat. <laughs> I'd be more like Paddington bear. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to at least give you Yogi. You know. Oh, I'm definitely like Yogi. You know, find me some <laughs> hey, picnic <boo-boo>. baskets. <laughs> I got a picnic basket for two. Now, here's the thing. If you see a bear walk up to you that's wearing a necktie, just give him your food. That's if right. he can tie a tie, he can mess you up. <laughs> just give him the food. 
imagine the dude he had to eat to get the tie. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> That's just words of wisdom from Graveyard Tales here. Now, the, the last uh, portion of the Norse soul was the Hamingya, which was one's inherent success in life, which is seen as a quality uh, or a protective spirit, which was both caused by a person's huger and formed it. And one's Hamingya would be passed down through a family for good or bad. So, for example, you're you're a really well-respected, liked, honorable person, okay? That would be your hamingya, and mm-hmm. that would pass down to your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. So the expectation would be all of your descendants would be the same. They would be very respected, very honest, very, um, you know, good, a good person. But in the same respect, if you were an evil person, if you were just a a bad dude, then that would flow through your family line. So any of your descendants would also be that way. But there were always one-offs. There were always the ones where, you know, some really, you know, superb person would have an evil descendant, somebody that broke the mold. Okay. A recessive trait, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's so, a good way to put it. Yeah, you pick. So oh, like, he got that. Uh, yeah, you know. he got the the genetic butthole gene. <laughs> um, he he just it, his family are all saints, but for some reason he got the butthole gene, <laughs> and now he's a butthole. butthole. He's a butthole. But the Norse thought once Huger would pass into the body of a newborn relative. One's Hamingya would continue on in the family, and one's uh, Fligia would cease to exist after death. It was gone. Of course, the the Fligia was the, you know, like you said, your you know, mine would would be a bear. You know, Adams would be a raven. You know, somebody mm-hmm. real shy and demure would be like a deer. Um, so you know that one would just go away. Now these parts of the soul may or may not go to the same place after death. And there's evidence that the Norse believed in reincarnation where one's Huger would pass into the body, like I said, of a newborn relative. Um, so you, you know, the, the great grandchild of, you know, a, an older, an older person, uh, he would pass and then a great grandchild would be born and they would look at this child as that person that just passed, you know, right, that his right. spirit was living on. He would be his own unique individual, but he would have yep. this component of his great grandfather in him. Not true reincarnation uh, in the in right, that sense. But right. yeah, in the, the good traits or whatever would you could say, OK, he's so much like his great grandfather. He must yeah. have gained this from him. Now, for as far as humans went, there was no judgment by the gods involved in a soul's final destination. So what you did um, in your your human life in Midgard did not determine where you wound up, okay? For the most part, it just seems like a soul went wherever it went. Now, the like the great hero god, Balder, 
he he went to hell beneath the earth, not to Valhalla. And mm-hmm. even the gods couldn't bring him back. So with all of their power and wisdom, they couldn't do anything about it. You know, right. this is where he went. Okay. You know, that that's it. Yep. Wasn't now if I'm remembering correctly, hell said to um Frigg that if every creature, every entity on earth wept for uh Boulder, then he would come back. And the one that did not was Loki. Right. So did not get to come back because of that jerk Loki. That's right. That's right. And and boy, that was a perfect lead in Loki. So you know, going back into how this ties into the paranormal. I have read modern stories of people who believe that they were being tormented or reached out to by Loki. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. as a trickster, his presence is usually associated with items going missing, unfortunate minor act accidents, like something your toe on an item that's typically not in your path. Uh, Losing your toenail to a ship. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, or, or Loki would appear in dreams. Now, even in the modern era, there are many practitioners of North paganism and Adam and I were discussing this before we started recording that it has, it has gained much more popularity in, in the last, you know, decade or so. So you're a big resurgence. Yeah. You're finding more and more people that practice North Norse paganism. Um, and try to commune with with Loki as well as other major gods. And in discussions, individuals speak of making offerings to Odin and Freya, Thor, and yes, Loki. Um, mm. Because truthfully, if 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 Loki's involved, you you want to keep him happy. Um, I was going to say you got to appease that guy because he's going to mess with you. Mm-hmm. And I actually uh, was on uh, an online forum where there were many practitioners of Norse paganism discussing, you know, that they thought Loki was reaching out to them. How would I know for sure? Um, you know, a, a lot of times people, they would, the responses would be ask Loki to give you a sign, you know, like a fox or a crow. Um widely the animal that's most associated with loki is a snake so they said if you see a snake and you're you know in the process of feeling this this inner voice that you think is loki reaching out to you and then you see a snake they're saying it's a good chance that's what's happening So if you've been listening to Graveyard Tales for a while, you know that Adam and I are huge fans of HelloFresh. If you're new to the show, you may be asking, hey, what's HelloFresh? Well, HelloFresh is a meal delivery service where you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients, and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You get to skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. 
Now, the new year is a great time to focus on what's most important to you, whether it's saving money by ordering less takeout, learning to cook, or prioritizing your wellness. HelloFresh is here to help with endless options to make cooking at home simple and enjoyable. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients to your door, including farm-fresh produce that arrives within a week. So you get convenience without skipping on quality. Skip the trip to the grocery store, saving you the wait in long lines and ensuring you don't waste money on excess food. That's right. And don't forget about dessert. You can satisfy your sweet tooth with seasonal limited time goodies like Dunkaroo's cookie dough and vanilla delight cheesecake. Oh, I love cheesecake. Oh, it sounds so good. Now, HelloFresh is 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality. And you can save, on average, over $65 per month when you order HelloFresh instead of grocery shopping. That's more money to put toward those 2022 goals of yours. Like either going to the gym or going out drinking at the end of the week, whichever is your thing. (laughs) We do both, so whatever. Um, HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, including veggie, calorie smart, family friendly, and gourmet options, providing plenty of variety. Recipes like hibachi sweet soy bavette steak and shrimp bring Mm. restaurant quality meals right to your kitchen. That sounds great, doesn't it? Yeah. While their white cheddar wonder burgers make it easier than ever to skip the takeout. And the great thing about HelloFresh is it really brings your family together. Because mm-hmm. my kids love it because they know they're going to get to participate in making dinner that night. Right. You know, that HelloFresh box is on the porch. They know, hey, tonight is going to be fun and it's going to be great food. Right. Exactly. And if you want to get in on this, you can go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard 16 and use our code GRAVEYARD16, that's G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D, and the number is 1-6, for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Yeah, so just go to HelloFresh.com slash GRAVEYARD16 and use our code GRAVEYARD16, that's G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-1-6, for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Um, but they describe praying to gods for specific things, such as praying to Odin for wisdom, Thor for protection, or Freya for strength, which praying to Freya for strength is more common for females um, because as, as a strong female goddess, she, she appealed to uh, a lot of women. Right. And so that carries on in the practice of Norse paganism now. So that's how North, North, I do it every time. North, North. <laughs> I'm just going to start saying North. Y'all just going to get Man, over just, it. Just say Northman. <laughs> Northman. Now it sounds like I've got a lisp. <laughs> but it, it does. It, it, Norse mythology plays into that paranormal because of things just like this. Um, you know, people are still. Uh, praying and communing or attempting to commune with these Norse gods. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's hard to say. Adam and I were, were talking about, we, we had a story that 
we we both remember, and we can't remember if we saw it in the graveyard or if it was in another group about um, a lady who was concerned that Loki was reaching out to her and it was causing her some issues, not major issues, just some pretty significant annoyance, knowing that he's a trickster. And her questions were, you know, how, how can I tell, how can I tell if it's Loki? How can I tell if it's a trickster demon pretending to be Loki? Um, The advice I got on the forum was that, Loki is like the king of the tricksters and that most other trickster entities will not impersonate Loki, which I thought was very interesting. I was like, you know, they're like, yeah, we'll pretend to be pretty much anybody but him, you know, because I mean, they don't want to get his wrath. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you realize he was the one guy that could have brought Balder out of hell and he wouldn't do it. So. Yeah, I was going to say, he's the, the one guy that figured out mistletoe would kill Boulder mm-hmm. and fashioned a spear out of it, and that's dedication. Yeah. If you're going to make a spear out of mistletoe, that's some dedication, so I wouldn't mess with him. So, you know, there there is there is a, 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 an idea um, that these gods are still very active, and... Right. Can influence human life even today. Right. And who are we to say that they do or don't? Right. You know, I I mean, like we say with most other things, it, it's we're not here to influence you one way or another. We're just bringing you the the information and you can do with that information what you want. We're not going to try to tell you to believe in ghosts in any other episode. We may say, Hey, we believe in it, but you can believe how you want to believe. And it's the same with this. I mean, if, if you believe that this is, they, the Vikings were right this whole time, then they were right for you. Yep. That's right. Well, I mean, you know, just paganism in general is still practiced widely today. Sure. Sure. And, I, I think to the point where now if if uh, somebody approaches you and says that, you know, they're they practice paganism, I, I, at least for me and probably you, too, Adam, it wouldn't even be a blip on our radar. You'd be nope. like, oh, wow, really? Um, yep. That's interesting. Let ask- me ask you some questions. I would love to know more. Um, exactly. And, and I was going to say, I may ask questions because I don't know as much about it as I do other things, but it's so common now that. I would say most people are just like, ah, right on. Yeah. Like anything else. And I think this is another one of these topics that we bring up where the only thing we ask of our listeners is keep an open mind. Um, right. You know, we Adam and I sure don't claim to know everything. And we 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 pretty much poo-poo anybody that says they do. Um, yeah. But I think it's it's our it's our duty to continue to learn. And and learn about things that, you know, you may not believe in. Um, you may believe a little. Or you may have no idea that they've existed. But by opening your mind a little bit and not being so closed off to things that may be outside of your culture or your ideals, it allows you to grow and understand 
how to relate to to other people that maybe feel the same way about what you believe. Mm-hmm. So you know, one, one of the one of the greatest virtues. I was I was thinking about this today. One of the greatest virtues you can have is to disagree with someone yet still be civil and talk to each other. Yeah, you know, if Matt and I disagree on something, we're not going to. I'm not going to talk crap about Matt to his face or behind his back. I'm not going to tell him he's stupid for believing something that I don't believe or whatever. I'm going to listen to him and I may still disagree with him at the end of the conversation, but he and I remain friends and we remain cordial to each other. And if you do that, that that's why the graveyard is so great is because that seems to be the graveyard mentality. Yeah. And you know, we, we appreciate the graveyard so much for doing that, that there are so many people from so many walks of life in the graveyard, yet we all get along Yeah, and you can believe something that I don't believe or that I have never even considered, but we can remain friends and, and discuss it and then go on about the day, grab a beer later. Yeah. And you know, that that's what we appreciate about the graveyard and what we would like everybody to keep doing in the graveyard with all of these episodes when the conversations come up if you disagree that's fine yeah you can either just not join in the conversation or respectfully say well you know i i I disagree with you here's why but i'm not here to try to force you to believe what i believe i've always felt that if you if you block off somebody because you disagree with them on one topic you never learn about the hundreds of things you probably agree with them on. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. But for you guys, um, if, if mythology in general, Norse mythology or Norse paganism is interesting, I assure you doing a little bit more research is fascinating. It, oh, it yeah. is, it, it is just enthralling. I, you know, I, I found myself being up later at night than I needed to be just reading uh, about these these different gods and how people prayed to them and what their expectations were. I mean, it was just incredible it, because it was things that I never had really looked into. Mm-hmm. So if, if this you can take that you, book. Uh, yeah, that, that book that I mentioned. Yep. Uh, Uncovering Norse Mythology by Lucas Russo or Matt. What was that author that you mentioned? David, we both. David Guyman. Um, yeah, is the is the other one, um, and go go check out their books and read those. They're on audiobook too. If you're a listener, kind of like I am, I I like to listen to books. Yeah, and I'll give you. Well, I don't have it directly in front of me, but if you search David uh, David Guyman, um, you'll find his research into into Norse mythology and uh it it's 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 great. It really, really is. So what do you guys believe? Um do do you believe, you know, that people um can still pray to these gods and receive answers? Do you think these are just really amazing stories? Um let us know. And the best place to do, as Adam said, is in the graveyard, which is our Facebook group, uh, which is over 6,000 members strong now. Mm-hmm. And 
It is one of the most active groups I've ever seen in Facebook. There is constantly oh, yeah. things being posted. But the the best part about it is it is a safe place for you to share your your thoughts, your experiences, things like that, some some funny jokes and just some general discussion topics that that really uh, can get you to think. Um, and and some of the personal experiences that our our members have shared, I mean, they blow you away. Mm-hmm. So yep. um, if you're not in there already, get in there because you're not going to be disappointed. I promise. Um, right. But you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter. Just go and search Graveyard Tales. And you can uh, check out our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show. And you can become a patron. And as soon as we're done here, Adam and I are going to record another Patreon episode. Uh, all of yep. that bonus content is available to you. It just takes a donation to the show, and that is what keeps Adam and I going. So we thank everyone that has already done it or has done it in the past um, because it really, really helps. Oh, yeah, it does. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.